Daystyle. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 13, Prophecies. Okay. Prophecies and why I hate them. Yeah. And I'll say that I hate them too, for the most part, because I think they're done poorly quite often. Mm-hmm. Included in what we'll be talking about with prophecy is not just prophecy, it's time travel as well, because I I consider prophecy to be a strict subset of time travel most of the time. Right. Because it's, it's information going backwards. What's, tra- what's traveling is data, and yeah. yeah, there's still a connection between past and uh, present and future. Yeah, but uh, these are all sort of being grouped together because they interact with the reader in very similar ways. You have to sort of group them all together if you're thinking about that flow of information to the reader and how that's affecting the reader's experience. Right. So um, we're going to just start with why prophecy sucks. Okay. So I'm going to just focus on the most subjective thing first, which is almost always a spoiler. And this, I have to clarify, obviously, is going to matter to some people more than others. So personally, it's a major deal to me that it's a spoiler. I hate spoilers. I've almost never had my experience enhanced by knowing ahead of time what's coming. But I recognize that some people really don't mind it or enjoy it. So that's a subjective reason why I think prophecies are terrible. But there are objective reasons why it can kind of be problematic too. And one of the ones that is the most common is that once the prophecy is known to the characters, their agency is severely limited. You've got the kinds of prophecies that'll either tell the hero that they're the hero, and they've got to save the world, and only they can do it. And now all the motivations that they might have had to save the world just don't matter as much as the prophecy says they have to. Yeah. And you can get, you know, some good characterizations out of that. You can get, you know, raging against fate and questions of free will and everything. Like, those can still exist, but at the end of the day, if the prophecy is true, and the characters take the prophecy to be true then that's an artificial limitation on why they do the things they do. Yeah. So I think bullet point number one is it saps tension from the work, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's the spoiler aspect. If you know how a book is going to end, that is no longer a point of tension for you, right? If you know that the hero is going to survive till the end of the book, um, you're, you're not worried about their survival. Yeah, any scene that they're in that has a physical threat to them now just doesn't matter as much. Like, it's not engaging because you know it's not going to lead to anything important. One of the other things that I think falls under the umbrella of prophecy as far as the readers or viewers concerned is this thing that's very, very common where you your first chapter or your first scene in a movie is this, like, action scene or whatever and you don't understand what's going on and then there's, like, a free freeze frame, record scratch. I guess you're wondering how I got in this situation, right? Right. And then you go back to the start, and it's like, well, there is some tension there because I want to know how they got in that situation, but it's like answering a bunch of questions ahead of... Yeah, and it's doing so, in my view, for a very transparent purpose. It's doing it to hook the reader in a way that shortcuts actually organically making them enjoy the story at the beginning, right? You know, TV shows might do it to create buzz and have a rating boost or a a more captive audience early on. I still remember, I think it was season two of Breaking Bad when they did it, and it pissed me off. Not just that they did it, but the way they resolved it was just an utter cheat and turned me off the show for quite a while. Yeah. they, You know, books might do it because they want to have something entertaining right off the bat to make people think, oh, this is cool. Let me, you know, let me check this book out when people are, you know, browsing the bookstores of yesteryear and just flipping through the first chapter. So 
in my view, it's it's almost always a commercial decision, but I can't really know that for sure. Maybe there are some authors out there who, who genuinely think it's the best way to structure their story. But to me, it comes off as a cheat. Yeah, I think it's a very transparent way of getting around the fact that characters usually start in a place of comfort. Yeah. And that tends to be more boring than like a climax mm-hmm. when you're trying to like set everything up. So you just you take an exciting bit and you move it towards the beginning and then to like trying to hook people in. And yeah, I, f- I find it very transparent. I don't, I don't like that trope necessarily. Metropolitan Man was actually structured like that the first time I wrote it. First, what, what's the 10th chapter now was originally the first chapter. And then that sort of does a flashback thing. And that's cheating. I mean, it, it works for some people. It, there's a reason that you see it so often, but right, like it definitely works as a attention grabber, and that's why, like you said, that's why you see it so often. My problem with it just is that it it's a cheat that comes at a cost. Like if it was just a neat tool for making people more engaged, it wouldn't matter to me so much. But it, it, in my view, it definitely comes at a cost. Where for the people who do care about spoilers and engaging the reader in in legitimately wondering what's going to happen next in the story, knowing for the first. 15, 20, 30 chapters where it's all leading up to, even if things obviously are going to change after that point, that takes tension out of half the book. Yeah. Two thirds of the book, whatever it is. Yeah. So I think the second thing we need to discuss is prophecy as a way of, as you said, creating conflict, right? Like you have a hero and he's going up against this villain, but then there's this prophecy layered on top that sort of creates the conflict in addition to that. I think in the, in the worst case scenario, the entire conflict is generated by prophecy. Right. Where where the hero just needs to go after the villain because the hero knows that he's the only one who can destroy the villain. He doesn't have any external motivation except for this prophecy as the sole creator of conflict. And on, on the other side, there's prophecy as a way of resolving conflict. Mm-hmm. Right? You never, you never want a conflict to resolve because prophecy says so. That's usually terrible writing. And that tends to be something that I think modern writers have cottoned on to a little better. They'll usually resolve conflicts that are mentioned in prophecy in some kind of twisty way to try to not make it so blatant. But the creating conflict part is still something that I see happen way too often. I mean, it's kind of a catch-22 too, though, because if you have a prophecy in the story to create conflict between two characters and the character then finds other reasons to want to do it. And like, you know, at first I was only doing this because the prophecy said I had to, but now I see what an evil person he is, so I have to kill him. Like, great, but why couldn't that have just been the reason you decided to do this in the first place then? Right. Like, what was the prophecy for? And that's that's the main issue that I have with it. Like, every time I see prophecy, story prophe- prophecies in stories done well, I still think that they can be done better just by re- cleanly removing the prophecy. And and that's, that's, I think, something that also ties into the resolution part two, because prophecies will less often talk about how to resolve them these days. They'll just be about, this is some big bad thing that's going to happen, and then leave it up to the characters to resolve how they're going to deal with it. Yeah, I think that's a good way to sidestep that problem. Um... HPMOR, uh, spoilers here, but um, it it did that prophecy as conflict creation thing. You have this this conflict between Harry and Voldemort that's sort of been brewing the whole book, but it doesn't become uh, like it doesn't kick itself into gear until prophecy happens. There's this prophecy that that he'll, you know, destroy the world or right. whatever. 
and, to the stars and, from heaven. Yeah, um, and that is the point where the conflict sort of moves into this. It moves from this sort of like two people at odds with each other with one person wanting to kill the other. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't, that that's one of the more troubling parts to me because there was already this good conflict there, this good value conflict, this um, mentor mentee thing going on. And then it's largely prophecy that, that, moves it into the next stage and it doesn't happen until like chapter 100 or like chapter 90 or something like that right until uh trolney trolney says it right in front of coral mort and says basically you know that's what he's going to do now that some big terrible thing happened in the story coral was basically content with like let me over time mold this young me into my image or into a light version of me to fight me and and you know have conflict and engage us you know engage each other over the years and like he had a plan and that plan in my view would have been amazing to see um and unfold uh and you know like you said there was already that conflict of, of values that we saw so many times between them but instead of seeing all that unfold it had to basically get tossed out the window because there was a sudden new shift in priorities that only was there as a result of prophecy right and I think that it wasn't the most egregious example because a lot of it is hidden from the reader mm-hmm. as it's happening. Um, I think that you, it, it's obvious to me in retrospect, but at the time there, there was a lot of question about motivations that was sort of cloaking that. Yes, yes. That, while, that while, while I was reading the story, it didn't strike me as nearly as as problematic at all. Uh, it was just a new entertaining line for the story to go in. But in retrospect, it, it it makes a difference in how I would have preferred the the conflict to arise between these two characters. Yeah. And then sort of as a springboard to that, uh, prophecy is also tends to be a bad way to develop relationships and characters. There is, I wouldn't say it's an incredibly common trope, but if you have like psychic character come mm-hmm. along, say, hey, we're going to be friends because I know that we're going to be friends. Right. I that that's a horribly inorganic way to you're just sort of stating a friendship. <laughs> I really enjoy time travel fiction. Um I have not published a lot, but I've written a lot and that's like sitting in my drafts folders mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um and I think that there are there are ways that you can do it. I think that it's done poorly quite often. It's sort of playing on the romantic tension angle for for romantic relationships a lot. And then for friendships, it's also, it feels very forced sometimes, unless you're injecting some element of choice or chance or, or something like that, um, which, which will bring us to uh, prophecy tension, right? This idea of, is the prophecy true or not? Yeah. Or... Um, I think that is not – you have this sort of uh, archetypal prophecy thing where the hero is fated to die if he goes up against the bad guy. And so he has to, like, sort of, you know – Find a way to die he, without dying. Yeah, or or he just, like, goes into the battle knowing that he's going to die, mm-hmm. right? And he right, – like, right. this this heroic sacrifice or something, and then he, like, doesn't actually die. Because, you know, you don't want the hero to die at the end and you want to cop out. 
Um, I, I think that putting putting that that prophecy tension into a final battle, the people are are doing their own thing regardless of the prophecy. They decide it's worth the cost, but then the prophecy is there to just up the stakes. Yeah. Um, that is not not generally good writing. Mm-hmm. It's it's it can be effective in terms of sort of that popcorn aspect of writing, but I think it's a very, it's a very cheap tactic. And this, this again goes to the fact that I want to just be able to ask authors when they put a prophecy in a story, what they did it for, because so many times I feel like they just do it because, Oh, this is a fantasy story and fantasies have prophecies. Therefore it should have a prophecy in it at some point, because there's often stories where, there's no reason even in story for the prophecy to be there. Like there will be tension between characters, a reason for them to have conflict, a potential for that conflict to be resolved. And then the prophecy is just layered on top of it for no reason. Or there's a scene in, in game of Thrones where Daenerys Targaryen is in, in a house of magic, dark magic or something. And, and she's, she's seeing scenes that are obviously not true, but, but have that prophetic feel to them. They're very poetic uh, images that don't make much sense to her. And some of those scenes, in fact, most of them, have nothing to do with her. They're not prophecies of her future. They're not prophecies of her of her interactions with anyone. They're things that are happening elsewhere in the world to other people. And the only reason she sees them from a meta-writing level is so that we, the audience, see them. Yeah. And, and, and they're prophecies that not only spoil things, you know, but they also they also spoil things that that have no reason for us to to even be able to get like it's not it's not even like we had the tools to figure these things out on our own and then the prophecy confirmed it the prophecy just blatantly tells you these things and even if you don't realize it at the time you can go back and and see it there and wonder like what was the point of this other than the author essentially being like haha look at this interesting thing that i can do because i'm the writer and i know what's coming but again like this doesn't make george r R. martin a bad writer Right. Obviously, he's not. He's an amazing writer. Amazing writers have used prophecies in their stories. They're going to continue to do so. I just want to know, if I can, what they believe they're adding to it. Because I have yet to hear a good reason to do things like that other than, I guess, makes the world – like world building, prophecies as world building, which is something we can talk about. Yeah, I think I think that particular section was very much for deeper readers to obsess over, and it didn't – serve that much purpose beyond that and i i, I didn't like it because it doesn't you know you're putting in this thing so that readers can be like oh that was foreshadowing but it's just it's foreshadowing that serves no other purpose it doesn't right it's not character development it's not moving the plot along it's just here i'm going to be some vague about some things that are going to happen mm-hmm. and then like it's not related to anyone either no one can do anything about it. It's, yeah, no it, one can do anything about it's it. It's literally not. just a, like a sign just shows up in the middle of the story and says, this is coming up. And it's also really annoying because it kind of breaks the fourth wall in a sense that because the scenes don't have to do with her, they revolve around other characters in the story that we are reading as readers. And this makes it seem like whatever force or, or you know power is guiding these prophecies knows 
that like the readers are are interested in these characters specifically because Daenerys doesn't even know you know who these people are so that, like, we are seeing them because she is seeing them and we are the only ones that care about them and so all these like events that are coming in the future are being prophesied in this in this hall that she passes through and like apparently nothing else important in the world is going on because none of like no no other great events are going on that are being prophesied here that she sees yeah and it's like all right well thanks yeah so continuing our list of uh why prophecy suck uh, trying to avoid the prophecy and then it comes true the cassandra po- prophecy that mm-hmm. i think is incredibly played to the point where i just expect it right if people are trying to avoid the prophecy and then that prophecy ends up coming true that's I find that irritating. I don't think it's necessarily bad writing, mm-hmm. but it's it's as old as the Greeks. So if you're going to do it, you should have other layers to it or other twists on it. There, yeah, there will always be new ways to take on old tropes, right? And prophecy is obviously one of the oldest tropes that exist. You know, people I'm sure will point out that so-and-so great story from the 1400s or, or earlier even uh, had prophecy and it's a classic and, and great literature. And all that's true. Prophecy was amazing as a storytelling device back then. Nowadays, it's not so much. And maybe part of that's not true because going back to your example of, you know, what rules of writing are true, even if you just raise a kid in a in a room and have them invent the whole system of writing do prophecies objectively add things to stories or take more away from stories than they add i think there's a there's an answer to that and obviously i fall more on the takeaway side but even if you can argue that prophecies have a time and place which they might i think that time and place is pretty much all worn out and now if you're not trying to subvert them in really really unique ways you're just better off not including them at all yeah the Lego movie is a great example of, of uh, something that did something new with it. It still kind of peeved me that it turned out to sort of be true anyway. I would have loved for the the old wizard in that, uh, played by Morgan Freeman, to just be like, yeah, I just made the prophecy up because I needed someone to to take on this role and, and basically galvanize this whole thing to happen. Um, but there was no prophecy whatsoever, and I completely made it up. Yeah. But it had turned out to be that he still did play a central role because, again, you need the hero to be heroic. You can't just have the hero be a patsy. But it, it still did something new with it, and that's just very rare these days, and it's going to be rare as time goes on. Yeah, and I think our our last point on why prophecy sucks, if you manage to avoid everything else, there is a definite risk, and I've seen this happen a fair amount, of the prophecy being so vague that it's completely meaningless. Yeah. And it's just there to add in I don't know intrigue, but it's really shallow intrigue. So yeah, if you're worried that it's it's there as another plot hook. If you're worried that the plot hooks in your story are not strong enough, you might be tempted to add in some bad poetry or something that hints towards more epicness in the future, or some great betrayal or some heartbreak, so that you could basically have the story have a well of potential conflict coming up. Terry Goodkind did this in the Sword of Truth series. And one of the problems that I had with it also was that there's an article I wrote a while back called One Problem, One Solution, or Many Solutions, Many Problems. And Terry Goodkind was the perfect example of one problem, one solution, because he would basically structure his books around a central prophecy or a big event or whatever it was, usually a prophecy, but it could be something else too. And 
there's only one solution to it. Like, this evil demon has been unleashed on the world. The only way to stop this evil demon is to take this magic device to this magic place. Or the prophecy says that only this object can cure this disease, so you got to get this object and cure this disease. And what he would do is make the, the cure or make the solution to the prophecy cause its own problems so that he then had a new hook for a new book. And then they would just go from plot point to plot point doing the only thing they could do to solve the conflict in that book, but unintentionally or intentionally, sometimes they knew, sometimes they didn't, causing new conflicts as a result of it. And no one could be like, hey, maybe we should try to find another answer to this that doesn't cause more problems because prophecy said this is the only thing to do. So it's it's magic. What are you going to argue with magic? That's one of the major problems with prophecy, again, is that it, it cuts potential. It makes everyone have to follow it. Or it's not true, in which case, why even bother with it in the first place? Yeah. The, the why even bother with, with it in the first place if it's not true? That is definitely something I think about a lot because <laughs> it's... You're just you're just doing I don't know. You're I mean, using the prophecy to, prophecy to propel your conflicts and and things like that, and then it's just false. And what was the point? The you can make rumors like people. If people don't know for a fact that prophecies come true in the, in your world, like prophecy as world building, just for, as an example of of a way to maybe do it right. People don't know for a fact that prophecies are true in your story, but prophecies sometimes come true. Then what you've basically got is people who are really good, potentially good at predicting things. And obviously the rationalist in me is thinking, like, start a study of, like, how often do prophecies come true? And do some prophets have a better track record than others? Like, you know, what are the, the elements that go into subverting prophecies? But again, in those situations, you're adding the prophecies in just to propel people to do things that they wouldn't normally do. And maybe there's a good story to be written about how a rational world reacts to the existence of time traveling information, which I'm sure you're going to talk about. Yeah. But I haven't, I haven't really read it yet, but maybe you have. Yeah. So we're going to talk about how to make prophecy work, right? Those are all the problems with prophecies. Those are many of the problems with prophecies. I think there's yeah. probably more that I'm just going to keep thinking of as we go right. on, but yeah, there are failure modes of prophecy. Right. So how do you make prophecy work? Um, I have a book. It's a world where there's a lot of time travel. It's the static timeline, right? Mm-hmm. So anything that people see has to be necessarily anything, any future subjective future event that you see has to be true to whatever extent, right? Because you can you can mistake things and things like that. But, right. And it's about these three people who are sort of crisscrossing the human history of their like fantasy world, mm-hmm. and they they meet each other at very different times so you see like future and past are sort of mingled there's no tension as far as when someone's gonna die right right you know these two main characters meet and one of them is quite old and the others you know at the start of his journey or whatever you know that the other one who the old guy who you see he is not going to die when you are reading his chapters as from his viewpoint as a young man right so one of the things that you can do there is you just ignore that tension altogether you don't depend on that tension you just take you take it as as granted that he's going to survive and the reader is supposed to as well and so you don't you don't lean on that. Yeah, the tension comes from other places. If if you know for a fact this character is going to live, don't ever put him in a situation where the reader is supposed to think, oh my god, is he going to live? Which is, you know, fairly common in a lot of stories where you'll be like, I know this character isn't going to die here because there's 
X many chapters coming and, and so on and so forth. And there's the main character and they're probably not going to kill them off here. But in, so it's in general, it's kind of a good, that's kind of a good thing to avoid if you can a lot of the time anyway. But what you're saying is basically if the question is already answered by prophecy or time travel, put the conflict on other things that aren't answered by it. Yeah. One, one of the characters, Isa, is he, he loses one of his eyes, mm-hmm. right? And this is like the reader knows this from like chapter two or whatever. And Isa knows this from like chapter 10 or something. Mm-hmm. So all of the tension is placed on like why it happens and how it happens. Right. Right. Like you always know that it's going to happen, but you don't know why and you don't know how. So anytime that he gets in a situation, you're like, oh, like, is this the place where he's about to lose his eye? And he always thinks mm-hmm. that, too. He's like, of course, you know, I don't want to be blind in one eye. I looked miserable as an old man. How do I avo- avoid this future or like forestall it for as long as I, I can? And that's sort of brings us to our second point, which is um, you can use prophecy to create internal conflicts. Yeah. Um, I think it's really bad for, for external con- for conflicts, for conflicts between two people. Generally, I'm not I'm not 100% on that. But if you have like a parent, here's a prophecy that their child is going to like destroy the world or mm-hmm. something like that, that develops an internal conflict that can be compelling if done right. If they're like trying to decide whether they should kill their child. Mm-hmm. When you put those sort of, you know, people have to make a choice or they have to decide how to deal with this information that they have or they're trying to, you know, thread the needle of prophecy in some way. Right. I think that that's a good way that prophecy can create conflict much more than just a hero and a villain are going to fight because prophecy says that they will. Right. Because prophecy demands that they do if they're trying to follow their values. If you, if prophecy says something that it like shakes you to your core, that's, a much better way of of having a conflict that you can not necessarily pin a story on, but that can add to a story a lot. Yeah, I mean, okay. So this is, I mean, I'm going to continue to be the voice of, of homogeneousness. This is an issue that I have, though, with, with, again, like how these move forward. Like, these are great ways to make stories. These These are maybe the best way to use prophecies, but I can't help but think, Again, like so, this idea of the of the parent with a child that has to decide that—that's obviously a huge internal conflict and struggle that they have to go through. And maybe this ties into a greater story that this is just a smaller part of. But if you really want to write a story about a parent who has to decide about whether or not to kill their child because a prophecy says they're going to be the next Hitler, there are other ways to do that, right? Like if you've got a young kid who is uh, there was a great series of movies i think the first one i saw was like in black and white called the bad seed something like that but the good child was one with macaulay colgan uh if there is a child who is an unrepentant sociopathic killer yeah going around you know torturing animals uh killing people even and 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 blaming other people for it and and manipulating everyone around them and like the the mother usually it's the mother in these movies like sees it and and can't convince anyone that's true things like that tend to cause a lot of internal struggle the omen did it obviously with the whole my son is is the antichrist thing but you know like there, there are ways to do it without necessarily having a prophecy put that in there so again like if a if a story has a prophecy in it where this happens and and that's a side plot of it like 
that's good because you're 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 making the most out of the existence of this prophecy in your story. But I would caution anyone who wanted to write a story about that from using prophecy at all, because again, if that's the kind of story you want to write, there are other ways to do it. Yeah, and it depends on it depends on what kind of story that you're going for. I think one of the things that you can do with prophecy is that you can sort of set your conditions a lot more. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a child who's legitimately evil and that's where the conflict comes from, that's different than if you have a child who is good but maybe fated to kill yeah. a bunch of people for for other reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Or you don't know. Yeah. Prophecy lets you do something beyond just the standard motivations that you'd get. If you have a zombie story, Someone gets bit, and then it's like, oh, God, you know, I don't, I want to, like, protect them, but it's going to result in, you know, people dying, Mm -hmm. and it's this sort of... It's it's kind of a prophecy, right? Like, you, like, it is, it is absolute knowledge that something bad is going to happen. Yeah, and and that's a very different sort of scenario, I guess, because it's it's much more about... How they deal with that inevitability. Yeah, it's it's like a cost-benefit thing. Right. Right. And it's like... Obviously, a rational person would do X, but if you're including prophecy, you need to include some other things. Like, is there a way to, you know, fake your way around it, mm-hmm. you know, or is that just motivated reasoning where you're trying to avoid doing this thing that you know, as far as morals go, that you have to do? Yeah, that's that's a potentially. So if there was like a slow acting uh, virus, a zombie virus, and it's like we know this person's going to turn into a zombie, but it could be. Six months from now, it could be tomorrow. We don't know when it's going to be. But that character is a very important, good, you know, person that obviously doesn't want to die, but knows they're going to die at some point. Then it doesn't, you know, then you've got a reason to be like, okay, we know he's going to turn, but until he does, we want to be able to make the most, make the most use out of him, obviously, you know, is is a selfish reason to, but also for his part, like, he wants to be able to live for as long as possible, because, you know, anyone can die at any moment. So, like, that can be an, an interesting way to deal with prophecy sometimes, too, if, for example, you know a prophecy is coming that foretells something terrible, like, how do you live in a world where you know things like that exist? Yeah, and, and I think that with prophecy, there's always, you know, it's sort of up to the writer to telegraph it, but there's mm-hmm always a chance that it's not true or that it's not 100 percent accurate um that's sort of a matter of world building but you know if you're saying oh this is accurate 99 percent of the time right Mm -hmm. that that introduces a very different feel than than 100 percent right even if you know it has to happen and then just becomes a way of tricking the prophecy into thinking it's happened which in my opinion experience has usually been kind of irritating because it's not really usually done right like if, like if someone if someone is trying to beat a prophecy and the prophecy is not just information from the future like it wasn't just like a, a flash from the future that they got in their head it was it's like some kind of magic magic fate like why are they trying to trick it either it's going to happen i don't know maybe maybe this is just the way the writer writes the prophecies as like a somewhat sentient force that has to be appeased but there's a a scene in in doctor who one of the um seasons with 11th doctor where in the very first episode of the season you see the doctor get killed and there's a whole lot of angst because like at first you think it's the it's the current doctor the present doctor but then the present doctor shows up and everyone's like shocked and angry at him for playing such a mean trick on them and turns out he has no idea what they're talking about so they saw the future doctor die and the present doctor you know didn't know what was going to happen and so what they end up 
doing is having the doctor find out about it a few episodes later and then figure out a way to essentially still have everything they saw happen, but have something they were unaware of occur that would save him despite them seeing him die. And the problem with this was that the solution they came up with was nonsensical, which is kind of par for the course in Doctor Who. We love it anyway. But, but again, like, why are they, why do they have to fool the universe? Presumably, like, the only reason they're taking these actions to avert the prophecy is because the prophecy took place. If the prophecy didn't take place, blah, 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 blah. So it, it, it makes me, as a reader, again, feel like, like, you're just artificially ratcheting up tension when you didn't have to. Yeah. Well, it sort of, it sort of depends. Because I do this in this book that I'm talking about, mm-hmm. Time Wise Tales, is people do try to, you know, they know that what they see from the future is going to happen. Right. But they don't actually know that, right? They they know that what they see needs to come to pass as they saw it. Mm-hmm. And so if you see a person get, like, stabbed in front of you, you, like, immediately try to get away so you don't see anymore, and you know that you saw them get stabbed. Right. But if you can arrange things such that... They had metal under their shirt or something. To yeah, so yeah, they had metal under their shirt, or you, like, put a blood pack in so that mm-hmm. it looks like they died or whatever, and then you position them correctly so that that's what you saw, and then that doesn't have to come to pass. That's... Right. I, that's a... It's not a great conflict, I don't think, because it's sort of I would be in- weird, but... <laughs> I would be interested to read that story because I would find it an amusing way to see how a world is built where people know that prophecies exist and, and are basically trying to subvert them in a kind of almost... I mean, I don't know if this is the case, but in a kind of almost like... Like, maybe there's, like, a department of subverting prophecies in the government. You know, like, like in a kind of, like, it's just a, an everyday part of life. Like, sometimes we get information from the future. How can we minimize the damage from what we see? That would be interesting to me just as on a world-building level. And it might be entertaining on uh, in, in other respects, too. So, like, you know, it's, it's possible that, that would be a very entertaining way to use prophecy or information from the future. Yeah. And you're sort of, you're sort of trying to, I mean, it's a little humorous in some mm-hmm. sense but there's also a sense of desperation to it yeah, yeah because you see something bad happen and you're like okay well that didn't that didn't actually happen i only saw you know mm-hmm. it's like that that old joke where these people are on a train and they the first guy sees a, a a white cow and he's like oh all the cows in england are white and the other guy's like no only that cow is white and the other guy's like no only half that cow is white because we can only see one half of it right um you're sort of trying to pretend that things didn't happen in order to artificially add in uncertainty and i think that's part of the internal conflict mm-hmm. of, that can come from prophecy is you that's sort of the arc that one of the characters is following is because he sees bits and pieces of his future and he knows that it's unchangeable but he does not want that to be the case right so he's trying to he's trying to avoid prophecy so his conflict in some sense is internal but it's also his conflict is against fate itself and man versus fate is something that we didn't really explore in our uh, conflict episode but it can be very interesting format for a story too what you just described goes on in hpmr too right 
the way that the time travel works in that is essentially, you know, Harry at many points has to try to minimize the damage done by what he knows is going to happen in the future. Yeah. And I enjoyed that quite a bit. You know, uh, Dumbledore's character is revealed to be acting almost exclusively based off of prophecies that only he is privy to, which in one sense kind of kneecapped the organicness of his character and his actions. But on the other hand, again, it's entertaining because you get to see the ways that he tries to thread that needle. And like that's a, that's a great way to, especially in, in fanfic where the, the source material has prophecies, a great way to take what could be a conflict-disrupting aspect, which are what prophecies tend to be for me, and turn them into a new conflict that is entertaining and engaging. Kind of like a, a puzzle, like the way you're, you're using it in your story of like, how do we how do we deal with this information that we now have? Yeah. So another way that I think that you can use it is conditional prophecies. Um, you can say if X, Y, and then you just focus on you focus on your X, mm-hmm. right? That's sort of that's sort of like the if we go back to you know a parent knows that they're you know if their child lives something's going to happen, right? Right. Um, you can set up trolley problems really easily there. Conflict is to some extent coming from the prophecy itself. But you can set characters against each other by sort of their reaction to this conditional. I think that your objection is probably going to be, well, you could you could do that. Find other ways. Prophecy. Yeah. It depends. It depends on how shorthand you want to go. Yeah. But I think setting up it is easy to set things up with prophecy. I think that's why a lot of writers do it. Is it's easy to set a central conflict by just having the universe to create. Yeah. And. There again, there are a lot of stories I enjoy very much with prophecies in them. Some of them are still ongoing. The King Krillo Chronicles doesn't have a prophecy as such. It has a character that apparently just has so much information. They essentially act as a perfect predictor of what's going to happen in the future. And um, two characters get into a fight about it. One of them basically gives up all hope because they heard that that being uh, said something terrible was going to happen and everything would end in ruin. And the other character literally slaps them and says, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to slap you again. Are you going to just sit there and take it or, am I, or are you going to stop me? Because he got angry when he slapped him. And that kind of woke him up and, and made him realize, you know, okay, given even as a granted that this is going to happen, either I'm accepting that free will occur, exists or it doesn't and, and does that change my behavior and all that stuff. So you can have it there and have interesting things result of it. I have yet to see where the King Killer Chronicles is going to take that particular prophecy or prophecy-like thing. So maybe I'm going to end up being disappointed in it, in its presence in the story. But you can still do interesting things with them in the story. Yeah. I think King, King Killer Chronicles, to some extent, sets up this fighting fate thing, which I find I find quite interesting. But yeah, I mm-hmm. it, it's yet to be seen where that goes. So <laughs> One of the things that I think bothers me so much about prophecy is that they don't exist. And this is obviously something that I'm going to have to clarify a bit, because many things in fiction don't exist, and yet they make compelling fiction anyway. In my opinion, most things that don't exist make fiction more compelling than things that do exist. But at the same time, like no one in real life is walking down the street, has a wizard show up, give, hand them a magic sword, and say, go be great. Right? That just doesn't, it doesn't happen. No one's fated to be great in the world, you know, we can we can argue about free will and, and all that, and that's that's potentially true or not, but it doesn't affect 
our information at the time. We don't know that the universe has a plan for us. We just kind of either decide to do what we want to do or do great things or do terrible things. And that's just the best we can do. So one of, one of the problems I have with it is that it presents people with situations that I think just sets a, a false na- narrative of heroes are great because they were destined to be great. You see this in a lot of anime, a lot of chosen one stories, a lot of like, it's, it's not as compelling for me just knowing that that's just not the way the world works for people to exist in a world where the heroes are predestined and the, the conflicts are telegraphed like that. Yeah. And you don't really learn anything about what it is to make those kinds of decisions and be that kind of person in that circumstance. There's no equivalent circumstance in our world where the lessons are are transferable. So I think that there is a case to be made that we do have something approaching prophecy in the real world, which is prediction. Mm -hmm. Like, you go to a roulette wheel, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't know what the future is going to be, but you can constrain it to its elemental possibilities. Right. Right? And you can sort of build these conditionals like it, it's really easy with gambling to just like make these charts of these are the possibilities and these are the um this is how often they'll happen right right but i mean we do that in our lives we make these predictions and they're those loose prophecies you know your conditions you know sort of what's in the realm of happening that's kind of what i think that's kind of what i think of a lot of the x-risk stuff yeah is that it is to some extent I mean, I mean, it's prediction, but it's also a weak form of prophecy. And the, the ways that you react to that is the same way that you would react to a prophecy with X probability of happening. Right, yeah. In my mind, I draw the distinction between prediction and prophecy by the amount, obviously. Like, you know, like anything over 95% accuracy just tends to be fairly in the realm of what I would consider magical confidence. Unless it's the kind of things that prophecies are never about, which is like, you know, you will start your car tomorrow morning. The web serial worm had a character that was able to predict things that would happen and she would she would spit out probabilities and those probabilities would change as people did things. Dina, that was yeah, her. Yeah. yeah. And she was basically just a walking plot machine. Even though the writer obviously made efforts to to make it compelling and he did make it very compelling it was it was fantastic story i loved it but i would have preferred the story without dina there i think dina was an artificial plot progressor because the confidence in which her predictions were introduced and explored were just too strong even if she would say you know this has a 57% chance of something happening like it's it's magic it's not facts that could be wrong it's not data that you can argue against you can try to change it and increase or decrease the the prediction but just knowing that you can constantly check the probability of something occurring by the by the events that you do like again it's too much divorced from what i would consider to be true heroic action so to speak true heroic responsibility almost because there's a character in the story who dina predicts is going to you know cause the end of the world and everyone just suddenly takes great strides obviously to reduce the probability that that occurs and i feel like it just it just made people again do things that they wouldn't normally have done but they didn't need it 
he was already an evil dude. There was plenty of reasons to try to stop him if they could. Right. It was just to ratchet up the tension. Yeah. And it was just to sort of say, oh, this is more important than mm-hmm. than you would naturally expect given the circumstances. And, yeah. he, and he heard the prophecy and then started acting in ways to fulfill it. Um, he's like, ooh, you tell me I'm going to end the world. Well, I wonder how I could do that. Like, I, I, you know, I just I find I find things like that to be just less compelling. And again, that might just be a personal thing. Yeah. No, I think I think that's it's a good argument against prophecy as tension ratchet. Mm-hmm. I think it's maybe a less good argument against prophecy as conflict creation. Yeah. yeah. Or I mean, because because if you're talking about like conditional prophecies, the problem the problem I had with Worm was that it's sort of. It's just it's just adding more to an existing conflict. Yes. It's not by right. itself creating a conflict and I, I we talked earlier about you know it, prophecy is a bad way to create conflict i don't necessarily wholeheartedly endorse that mm-hmm. i think it's a bad way to create conflict between two people I, if if they're just fighting each other because prophecy says that they should fight each other right right i think if two people are fighting each other because they you know, prophecy sets up this conditional or whatever, and then they are on opposite sides of whether or not they want to fulfill that conditional. is is a very different thing, yeah. right? Like if the conditional is everyone in the world except for like ten thousand people dies, but then they those ten thousand people will have a empire of progress and good for whatever. That if you have that as your as your conditional, you can have two people who are opposed in terms of values, both trying to one one trying to fulfill the conditional for this prophecy to come to come true, and the other trying to stop it. Right. You can do that without prophecy. I think prophecy adds a much more it adds a much more clean starting condition that you can bud arguments and fights off of. Right. Where people can have uh, the sort of um, values conflict over something that they know is yeah. going to occur. Yeah, yeah, they can have they have a much cleaner values conflict without introducing a lot of other. Yeah, and that's that's a fair argument because in the real world, you know, we we accept existential risks that are going to be coming our way. You know, twenty years, fifty years from now, hundred years from now, we don't know when exactly, but in all likelihood they will happen at some point. And if you want to tell a story about humanity's reaction to a meteor strike coming, you know, 80 years from now or artificial intelligence explosion, some unknown time from now, you have to kind of bring in all the naysayers and the doubters and the, how do you get your information and what if you're wrong and all that kind of stuff, which is a different kind of story than everyone knows this is going to happen. Deal with it which you can really only do, I guess, with magical sources of confidence like prophecy. Yeah. So I think the last thing that I'll say in term in favor of making prophecy work is being clever about your subversions mm-hmm. of prophecy and your your fake outs be fulfilled. And it's only after it's fulfilled that they like understand it. I think that you can fake out your your wording or that you can have twists on it or subversions of your prophecy that will be appreciated by your reader you just don't want to you don't want to spoil your main conflict or you don't want to you want to lay the seeds and you want to lay some foreshadowing that is known to the 
that's known to the characters that affects the characters, but that doesn't necessarily drive any conflicts or any conflict resolutions that sort of is in the background to add this otherworldly sort of feeling to it. I think there are a lot of ways to go wrong there, but I think that you, if you're clever about it, you can do some subversions that will be appreciated. Yep. That does run the risk of having a feeling of spoilers that you don't want to give people who don't like spoilers, mm-hmm. right? I think I'm probably much less much less spoiler-averse than you are. Right, and again, like, you know, your mileage may vary, and as we've said before, all these things that we talk about come down in large part to the skill of the writer. A, a skilled yeah. writer who puts the time and effort in can make a fantastic story out of tropes that most writers would not do well with. So, don't let this episode discourage you if you've got an amazing prophecy story that you want to write and you think you can do it in a fresh and novel and interesting way, or even if you think it's going to hit a lot of the, the usual notes of prophecy, but the story itself just compels you to, to write it anyway and you think it'd be a good story anyway, you know, go for it. Just keep in mind that there might be better alternatives and, and think about it, really. Yeah, so our next episode will be focused around time travel, which mm-hmm. I think these lessons on prophecy are important to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. This has been Rationally Writing. Thanks for listening. Yeah, and stay tuned after the outro music for another book recommendation for Audible ad. this week's audible ad for today's book recommendation i tried to think of one that has prophecy in it to be thematic with the episode and decided to go with the dark lord of Durkholm by diana Wynne jones now this book is fairly obscure and i'll be very surprised if any listeners have read it before but i think it deserves to be more well known because it's one of the most delightfully fun and witty fantasy books i've ever read the story takes place in a fantasy world that's parallel to our own. Sometime in the past, a portal opened between them, and one of the first people that came through bound a powerful demon and used it to enforce a contract with all the rulers of the magical world, requiring them to essentially turn their whole world into an amusement park for tourists from our world. The story starts with various rulers from the magic world all meeting and voicing their displeasure at how terrible this deal has turned out to be for them, and plotting for ways to stop hosting the tourists from our world. I don't want to spoil anything about the story or characters, but the reason I thought about it is because prophecy plays a very specific but limited role. In the very first chapter, the rulers of the world ask two oracles what they should do to stop pilgrim parties, and the oracles tell them to do exactly one thing each, and they decide to follow both of those things even if they have no idea how that would solve their problem. The reason I like this is because, despite the initial setup for the story, none of the main characters know anything about the Oracle's advice, no one relies on it, everyone goes on to act for completely personal, organically satisfying reasons to achieve their goals. And if a story is going to include prophecy, in my opinion, that's how it should manifest. It doesn't set up the conflict, it doesn't solve the conflict, it doesn't motivate the main characters, it doesn't spoil any events in the plot, It's just a tool to set up the premise, and after it's originally revealed, it basically goes away and is never mentioned again. Even aside from that, The Dark Lord of Durkholm is one of my favorite fantasy books, and if you're looking for a new story to read or listen to, I highly recommend it. Feel free to go to www.audibletrial.com to start your free 30-day trial and get one free book credit. Thanks for listening.